Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, bed crimers. As always, I wish you the best. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out my channel. Let me just ask that after listening to or watching this video, if you learned something or enjoyed it, please do me a favor and smash that like button. Now let's dig in. Well, hello, bed crimers. Welcome to Thursday. I hope you all are having a great day. Today would have been Kaylee Jade Gonzalez's 22nd birthday. She and her best friend, Maddie Mogan, were born two weeks apart, both on Fridays. And every year, the two besties celebrated their special days together. To honor Kaylee, her parents, Steve and Christy, are asking that we all celebrate today as Kaylee Jade Day. Got the idea from the woman who came up with Maddie Mogan Day for Maddie Mogan. Seeing how well that went, the Gonsalveses decided to find a way to make Kaylee's birthday special as well. The idea for Kaylee Jade Day is to do something that you love doing. It could be going out to lunch, a loved one or a friend, making a special meal or a new recipe, buying someone a coffee as you wait for yours in Starbucks. You get the idea. So I wish Kaylee Jade happy birthday. It's infuriating that she's in heaven right now because she should be here on earth along with Ethan, Zana and Maddie. There's other news today about the case. Brian Koberger and his lawyers are claiming that media coverage of the case is whipping up a push for mob justice, and as a result, they're asking Judge John Judge to ban cameras from the courtroom. In a new court filing, Brian Koberger, through his attorneys, is objecting to television and social media commentators dissecting his previous video-recorded appearances his attorneys are arguing that descriptions of Koberger published by online commentators, including ones with terms such as cold iciness or a demon, could prejudice potential jurors. Lata County District Judge John Judge has scheduled a June 9th hearing on Koberger's motion. So that hearing's going to take place tomorrow. Koberger is arguing specifically that the heavy coverage threatening his presumption of innocence and constitutional right to a fair trial before a jury of his peers. In the motion, his attorneys wrote this. However much it may help the horrific pain of the victim's families to scream at the system, their alternative mob justice is far worse. It helps nothing to come to court assuming guilt. It helps nothing to overcome law in Lata County or do in an innocent man. They didn't say do in, they used the three-letter word that starts with K, ends with L, and rhymes with pill. Back to the quote, or have a worthless conviction overturned. As such, these phrases are used to characterize and make determinations about an individual based on limited footage with no regard for the presumption of innocence, which may impact a jury's opinion. Therefore, the presence of cameras allows for the potential that the courtroom will devolve from a place for the victim, society, and the accused to receive justice to a mere spectacle, end quote. 
And the decision is entirely up to judge, judge. Judges are not required to permit cameras in their courtrooms. As we witnessed in the Lori Vallow trial, the only thing they're required to do is consider the First Amendment of the Constitution when they block access to records and proceedings. And as Koberger's lawyers fight to ban cameras from the courtroom, that coalition of media groups who want the wide-sweeping gag order lifted filed yet another motion urging the Lataw County Second Circuit District Court to end the order altogether. The coalition, which includes the Lewiston Tribune and the Daily News, are arguing their ability to cover the case has been hampered by the order and that the order violates their First Amendment rights. They are therefore urging the judge to balance the First Amendment right with Brian Koberger's Sixth Amendment right. So, a brief history lesson here, just in case you don't know or you forgot. The First Amendment gives Americans five basic freedoms. One, freedom of speech. Two, freedom of the press. Three, freedom of petition. Four, freedom of assembly. And five, freedom of religion. The press is supposed to serve as a watchdog that can investigate and report on important issues and events. So the press feels they have a constitutional right to get access to what's going on with Koberger's case. The Sixth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution says this, In all criminal proceedings, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed and so on. I'm not going to read the entire amendment. Basically, the Sixth Amendment guarantees the rights of criminal defendants like Brian Koberger, and those rights include the right to a public trial without unnecessary delay, the right to a lawyer, the right to an impartial jury, and the right to know who your accusers are and the nature of the charges and evidence against you. So Koberger is focusing on his right to an impartial jury. But it's interesting because he also has that right to a public trial. And that's designed so that the public can also serve as a watchdog for Koberger to ensure he really does get a fair trial. So I can see why the judge has a difficult decision here. Both the First Amendment and the Sixth Amendment pretty much call for a transparent public trial. However, it would appear that Koberger and his lawyer do not have full confidence that the public can serve as an impartial watchdog over his case and trial because they think the majority has already convicted Koberger in their minds. And some of us do feel that from the evidence we've heard about so far, that Koberger is likely guilty. However, I have a number of subscribers who are holding back judgment and who are saying, I have not yet seen conclusive proof that Koberger committed this crime or that he committed it all by himself. And I will say that no matter how many videos I make about this case, if I were allowed to be on that jury, I would walk in that courtroom and I would throw away my preconceived notions, everything I've read, and would only base my vote at the end on the evidence presented in that courtroom. I'm capable of doing that no matter what anyone says. But of course, they would definitely not pick me for a juror because I have made all these videos. 
I do believe in fair trials and in starting with a fresh slate when you walk in the courtroom and are given so much power to determine another person's fate. And if the death penalty is on the table, you can bet that I would want to know exactly what the experts are saying, what the evidence really is, and everything that both the state and the defense have to say. And I'd want to know that before I say or judge that Koberger is guilty or innocent. It's not easy to have another person's future in your hands. I've sat on a week-long jury for a man who, if he was found guilty, would have gone to prison for life. And actually, we did find him guilty, so he was put behind bars. For life, which is where he belongs because he is a child P, if you know what I mean. Believe you me, I took it very seriously. And if Koberger is found guilty, we don't want that verdict overturned on appeal because his lawyers can show that he did not get a fair trial. Back to the media coalition. Attorneys for the coalition, Wendy Olson and Corey Carone, wrote in their memorandum, quote, the state's and Mr. Koberger's failure to present any evidence of prejudicial news coverage and the court's failure to consider alternative measures means the competing constitutional rights here were improperly balanced and the gag order should be vacated. If anything, the gag order prejudices Mr. Koberger by depriving the public of quality information, creating a vacuum for rampant speculation online. Quote. Olson and Carone argue that Koberger and the Lataw County Prosecutor's Office did not submit evidence when the gag order was first issued. Therefore, the memorandum states they should not be allowed to ambush the media with evidence they should have disclosed earlier. The media coalition also shared statements from reporters giving examples of ways in which they were denied information because of the order. They include police officials declining to answer their questions, and denying public records requests. So tomorrow, Judge Judd, in addition to listening to Koberger's attorney's arguments to ban cameras from the courtroom, will also be presiding over a hearing where the media coalition will make its arguments to vacate the order. And in addition to all of that, Judge Judge will also hear arguments from the Gonsalves family attorney, Shannon Gray, tomorrow, who is also seeking to amend the gag order so that he can speak to the public on behalf of his clients. It's sort of like whose rights should take precedence, the defendant's right to a fair trial, an impartial jury, or the press's right to serve as a watchdog for the public, and the public's right to know if this defendant poses a threat, and also to watch over the trial and the goings-on so that Koberger really does get a fair trial. Everyone wants their constitutional rights recognized. The question will be, whose rights trump the others? The trial is currently scheduled to take place on October 2nd of 2023, not too far away in the future. And I will say that if having cameras in the courtroom will hurt Koberger's chances at a fair trial with an impartial jury, then I would vote not to have the cameras in there. As much as I really want to see what happens, I want to see it all. I don't see, however, how cameras overseeing the trial can really affect the jury. The only issue would be if a juror talks to someone who's watching the trial while the trial is going on. 
that would pose a problem. And I suppose if there are headlines like the demon in court or the monster scowled at the jury and somehow the jurors see it or read it inadvertently, note that another hearing has been scheduled for June 27th when the court will discuss Koberger's attorney's request to release the record of the grand jury proceedings, including transcripts and the list of jurors. They want to see what went down during that grand jury that led to Brian Koberger being indicted on May 17. And my understanding is that Koberger and his attorneys do have a legal right to see that transcript, so it's unclear why they haven't been given it so far. The other news in the case is that we now know that Brian Koberger attended a lecture by feminist author and Margaret Atwood at Northampton Community College in 2018. Koberger was studying at the community college at the time. Not only did he attend the lecture, Koberger also sat smack in the front row. Atwood wrote The Handmaid's Tale. A television series was made from that book, and it's really good if you haven't seen it. The novel is set in a patriarchal white supremacy society in which fertile, childbearing age women, known as handmaids, are forced to produce children to be given to the upper class. It's surprising that Koberger, who, according to his classmates and students at Washington State University, would have attended Atwood's lecture. We know that Koberger has been accused of saying derogatory comments about women, and many of us believe he's an incel or involuntary celibate in the vein of Elliot Roger. According to criminal profiler John Kelly, Koberger didn't go to the lecture for Atwood. He was likely there instead for the audience, an audience made up mostly of women. If you look at the audience, you'll see there are very few men in attendance. Was Koberger trawling for potential victims at this event? Did he really have an interest in Margaret Atwood's work? Was he looking for a date? John Kelly also said this to Fox News Digital about Koberger at this event. This guy's a looker all the way. He's the kind of guy who's not going to chat somebody up to try and get a date or something like that. He's strictly pretty much focused on looking. He's sitting in the front. He likes to ask or give the extravagant answers to the questions. He'll answer them in a very upper-class way, end quote. Many experts have said that Koberger is likely an incel. Former FBI agent and security expert Pete Yakmatz told the New York Post shortly after Koberger's arrest this. I think he may have developed a sort of incel complex. Yakmet said that the continued jabbing that the perpetrator inflicted on some of the victims at 1122 King Road indicate an uncontrollable rage and extreme anger. Yakmetz also noted that Koberger has been described as socially awkward with a long history of interpersonal problems. And forensic psychiatrist Dr. Carol Lieberman told Court TV that Koberger's choice of victims or decision to target mostly female college students convinced her that he is an incel. How do you view this new information that Koberger attended Margaret Atwood's lecture? Do you think he's a genuine fan of her work? 
Or do you think he was there to look around at the females for another reason? I will say that him sitting in the front row might indicate that he may have genuinely wanted to listen to Atwood. Perhaps he had questions for her. If he had just wanted to look for females to either date or trawl, he likely would have sat toward the back, I would think. Just my opinion. He could have chosen that front row so he could talk and be seen, perhaps as a way to assert his intelligence, maybe to get a date. I mean, we're all speculating. Who the heck knows? Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories, hey, smash that like button and subscribe to my channel consider a membership, check me out on Spotify under the name Carnage Street, and I'll see you next time. <laughs> with your, because you're both, right? With your, when you started to do your study on the... Of homo, human beings. Yes, yes. The Homo sapiens sapiens. Were you surprised about us or disappointed? Well, I started a long time ago. So by this time, I'm neither surprised nor disappointed. Um, I'm, I'm cautiously hopeful. As I say, you do, you do have some good points. If you didn't have any good points, you wouldn't be doing the Nexus Institute, would you? <laughs> and my question is alluding to uh, hope. Um, you ended your speech on uh, the presence of hope, and uh, I know you've been writing for several decades on uh, the human experience in general um, and the various hardships that people face due to social injustice. Uh, so I want to know if you feel more hopeful now or uh, if you felt more hopeful earlier in your writing career, and if so, uh, why? Okay, so hope. Uh, first of all, hope, hope is a, is a built-in. I think it's just something human beings by and large come with uh, because if they didn't have hope back when it was time to hunt the gazelle, <laughs> if they didn't get up in the morning and say, maybe there will be a gazelle today, uh, they would not be our ancestors because uh, they would stop eating. So I, I think we're, and that's why apparently psychologists tell us that we prefer, in a landscape, we prefer a road that curves around out of sight than one that goes straight forward. Uh, because if there's one that curves around out of sight, there might be something hopeful around the corner. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we have that tendency, and, um, and I think we need that tendency because it, it's motivating. Groundless hope, or, or having, having nothing but hope take the place of action, that's kind of useless. Mm. You know, if you lie in bed and think, I hope there will be a gazelle, you're actually not going to find one. 